We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. News, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. who, as a Jewish man living in that day and age, was under the tithe law. But he said, I'm going to give 50% of everything. That's generosity. That's generosity. And that's why Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. It's so obvious that his new generosity evidenced a new heart. A new heart. A guy who was once stealing now is giving, and giving very generously. This is why the Bible often notes generosity as an evidence of genuine salvation. If we think generosity will bring us salvation, we have it backwards. The joy of our salvation makes us generous. Today on Verse by Verse, we will consider how generosity is the positive side of the Eighth Commandment. Pastor Steve Kreloff is leading us in a series of insightful lessons about the Ten Commandments. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're following in your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as we begin the conclusion of Pastor Steve's three-part message. Those who have been saved by grace are gracious in giving to others. And I'd like you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And if you'll keep your place there, we're going to refer to to these chapters several times. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Now, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 speak about giving, but more than giving, they speak about generosity. Generosity. Paul's arguing for the Corinthians to be generous in giving money, taking a collection for the poor Jewish believers stuck in Jerusalem without any job, and now the church is bearing in Jerusalem the whole weight of this. And Paul wants Gentile churches around the Roman Empire to to take up collections and give. And the Corinthians were a little slow in doing this. So Paul writes in chapter 8, verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. The churches of Macedonia were those churches in the northern part of Greece, the area known as as Macedonia, would be the uh, Philippians, the Thessalonians, the Bereans, and perhaps other churches we're not aware of. But that's what he's talking about. He said, I want you to know about God's grace at work in these believers to the north of you. Second verse, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. All this means is that they were dirt poor and yet they gave money. Though they were below the poverty line, they enjoyed giving their money. They they were generous. That's, That's what he means. The great ordeal of affliction was that they were they were dirt poor. And yet they had an abundance of joy. They enjoyed giving. They, they didn't give because somebody laid a guilt trip on them. They didn't give because they felt pressure. They didn't give for any other reasons except they wanted to. It was joyous for them, and, it, and, they're over, and, and their giving overflowed. Verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability, and Paul writes, and beyond their ability, 
They gave of their own accord. I didn't ask them to do this. But they gave. And Paul says in verse 4, they were begging us with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. Paul's probably thinking here, you know what? They're so poor, we ought to take an offering for them. But they pleaded with Paul for the joy that would come into their hearts if they could just give. And Paul said, I don't even want them to give. But they pleaded and they were joyful about this. That's a tremendous truth. Now, why were they such great givers? And by the way, I, I would add, that the Corinthians were much, uh, a much better, more stable financial position than the Macedonians. And yet the Macedonians have to put the Corinthians to shame because they, though the Corinthians had more money, they didn't give like the Macedonians. But Paul explains in verse 1 why they were such great givers. And we're not talking now that they, uh, that, that they necessarily gave more than the Corinthians, but they gave sacrificially. Proportionately, they were so much more generous. Verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That expression, the grace of God, that amazing grace that we sang about before, that's it. Because they had experienced God's grace in their lives, in salvation, and His grace had continued to transform them from being self-absorbed people to generous people who wanted to share their money with those in need, Paul said they did. In other words, when God saves us by his grace, folks, he doesn't leave us alone to, to figure out the Christian life on our own and, and, and live out these truths in our own sinful ways. No, he doesn't do that. He begins to, to transform our character. He doesn't just save us and say, you're on your own. He begins to transform our character by his grace. And one of the evidences, not the only one, but one of the strong evidences of this transformation is that we want to share our resources with those who are in need. That's what happens. You know, perhaps the greatest illustration of this in the Bible is Zacchaeus. Remember that wee little man? That wee little man was he? Luke chapter 19. I, I remember being in Israel one time and we went to Jericho and there was a tree marked off that said, this is the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. <laughs> and I thought, I'll bet Elvis lives here too. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> And I might add, they misspelled the name Zacchaeus. I mean, if you're going to try to lure tourists to that, spell it properly. But Luke chapter 19, verse 1, speaking of our Lord, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Of course he was rich, because tax collectors were notoriously known for being crooks. They were Jewish people who were hired by the Roman government to collect taxes for them with the attitude, whatever you can get over and above the tax, keep for yourself. So they were corrupt. That's why a man like this would not have had many friends, if any. Matthew, I might add, was a tax collector too. But Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector. He was rich, yeah, because he was taking advantage of the poor. That's what this is about. Zacchaeus was trying to see... Uh, who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up, or hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and gladly received him. 
When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I would doubt if Zacchaeus had any other guests at any time. I would doubt that anybody wanted to go to his home, except maybe other corrupt tax collectors. So this was very, very special. Now watch this. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. And if I have if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and I think we could reasonably add, and I have, I will give back four times as much. Now, you understand what he's saying? I will. The Old Testament law with restitution said, give back double what you took. Zacchaeus is saying, I'll give back double and I'll double that. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because he, too, is a son of Abraham. This is, this is a tremendous, tremendous truth. Not only did he make restitution for what he had stolen in taxes, but he said, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, it's very interesting. I want you to notice this. Zacchaeus was not stuck on the 10% tithe law. Did you notice that? He spontaneously gave 50% of everything. Now, this is a man who, as a Jewish man living in that day and age, was under the tithe law. But he said, I'm going to give 50% of everything. That's generosity. That's generosity. And that's why Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. It's so obvious that his new generosity evidenced a new heart, a new heart. A guy who was once stealing now is giving and giving very generously. This is why the Bible often notes generosity as an evidence of genuine salvation. First John chapter 3, verse 16, we're, we're all familiar, at least most of us, with John three sixteen. But 1 John 3.16 is equally as important. John says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is how we are to do it. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and we are to love the world by laying down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. John is saying you don't go around telling people you love them when they are shivering and uh, they don't have enough clothing in the winter and they don't have food to take care of themselves. If you can, you give them a coat and you give them some food. That's how we, de- how we demonstrate love. See, God's grace opens our hearts, folks, as well as our checkbooks. It's just the way it is. That's... What happens? The question is, why is generosity such a revealing mark of Christians? Why is that, is that issue so prominent in Scripture? I'll, I'll tell you why. Because God's grace is at work in us. And what is that grace doing? That grace is transforming us. We call it progressive sanctification. God's grace is progressively conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. That is to say that the good work that he began in you at the time of salvation, he continues to do that until you're with Christ, standing before him. God is working in our lives, transforming us to be like Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the epitome of generosity. That's why if you are spiritually growing, you will be generous. If generosity does not characterize you at all, it's very, very questionable whether you've really come to know Christ. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is part of Paul's arguments about why the Corinthians and, and all believers should be generous. And by the way, there are tapes on this. If you, want, if you want more about this, just go back and get the tapes from 
chapters 8 and 9. But 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We really understand his grace, what he did. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Our Lord was rich in glory, existing in the form of of God. But in becoming a man, he gave up those riches and he became poor. He's talking about that he became poor in the sense that he became a man. So that we who are spiritually bankrupt could become spiritually rich. And Paul's point is this. If this is the way Jesus Christ is, if this is the demonstration of God's grace in your, in your life, then you must be generous with others. Not stingy, not frugal, not cheap. He is our example of giving and generosity. Listen, don't make, don't make the mistake of equating giving and restricting giving, whether it be to needy individuals or to the Lord, to a mere tithe, a 10%. Some of you have been taught that. I realize that. But did you realize the Bible does not teach 10% and that's it? In fact, the Bible teaches that the Old Testament Jewish person under the law did not give 10%, was required to give closer to 23%, a little over 23%. There were actually three tithes. The tithe was... The tithe was a um, a tax. It was not a love offering. It was a tax. They had no they had no choice in the matter. That's why in Malachi God says, "Will a man rob me? Will you rob God?" Because they owed it to him. Same thing as us giving our taxes to the government. They owed it to him. The first the first tithe was a uh, a tithe a tenth to support the priests. The priests needed to be supported. So the people did that through a tithe. The second tithe was for the feasts and the festivals and and most likely the upkeep of the temple. And once every three years, there was another tithe for the poor. That's why it doesn't come out to 30%. It comes out to a little over 23%. But it's wrong to to believe that if you give 10%, that's all that you're supposed to give. That's that's it. Now, the question is, what about the New Testament? What does the Bible teach about this? And by the way, we have tapes on this. So I would encourage you, if you want to know more about it. The New Testament, there is no statement, no statement in the New Testament letters addressed to the church in which, in which God says that we are to give a tithe. You'll not find it in the, in the New Testament. You may find it in the Gospels, but that's Jesus speaking uh, to the Pharisees and others as under law. But once we're no longer under the civil laws, and we are no longer under the civil laws of Israel, we're under the moral laws, but the tithe was a civil law. Don't, don't feel you have to do that, but then be inconsistent. You don't have to keep the other laws. No, we're not under those laws. So how much should we give? How much should we give today? Second Corinthians chapter 9. You want to know how much to give? 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what Paul is saying? How much should you give? Give whatever you want to give. But give it joyfully and give it generously and give it sacrificially and not grudgingly. If you're going to give it grudgingly, don't give it all because God doesn't want that. God loves a cheerful giver. It's a great truth. Give whatever you think you should give. Say, well, what if I just want to give 10%? Then just give 10%. But you're not under a law to do that. You're not under a law. That's a decision you come to. 
What if I want to give 50%? Well, then you're following in Zacchaeus' footsteps, and that, that's what you give. Give whatever you think you should give. That, I mean, look at that again. That's what Paul says. If there was any place in Scripture that would teach tithing, it would be right here in, this, in these two chapters, but it's not. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart. Decide in your heart before the Lord what you think you should give to people, to the Lord's work, whatever. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 expands on this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week, that's Sunday, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Paul said, I want you to take up the offerings before I get there. I don't want to be involved in that. Every time you get together on Sunday, part of your worship is to take an offering. And the guideline is as he may prosper. If God has prospered, you can give more. If God has not prospered you, then give less. Whatever you purpose in your heart. You know how I would reduce giving to, to, this, to this truth? Pay your taxes and give whatever you want. That's it. Pay your taxes because the tithe, the principle is the tax. And Romans 13, we're to pay our taxes and give whatever you want to give. And if God has blessed you, give more. If God hasn't blessed you as much, then give less. Now, the question that, that usually comes up at this point whenever Christians are exhorted to generously give is this. Well, if I'm generous in giving to others, who's going to take care of me? Who's going to take care of my needs? And you know what? That's a, that's a very valid question. The answer is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is one step ahead of you, and he answers this. 2 Corinthians 9. And I might add that if you were here with us as we went through 2 Corinthians, you know that Paul was personally a very poor man. Very poor. There were times he didn't have food, times he didn't have clothing that would keep him warm. Paul was very poor. Here's what he said. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 6 now. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Essentially, what these verses are saying is that if you're generous with God, he'll be generous with you. That's, that is precisely the point of this. In other words, those who bless others by liberally sharing their resources will experience God's blessings of material resources. This, by the way, is, is not the same thing as the, uh, the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says that you should give so you can get a lot of money back and really be wealthy. It, it's just self-centeredness. That's all it is. But it, it looks so spiritual. Just give. Trust God and he'll give you back in abundance. That's not what Paul is teaching. What Paul is teaching is this. Give so you can get so you can give some more. He's not talking about accumulating wealth for yourself. He's talking about giving so God will give you back more and meet your needs so that you can keep giving again. That's, that's a marvelous truth. And, I, and I'll tell you what, this is consistent throughout Scripture. Proverbs speaks about that. Proverbs speaks about if you're stingy, God will be stingy with you. If you're generous, God will be generous with you. Philippians chapter 4, you don't need to turn there, but Philippians chapter 4, Paul closes Philippians with a marvelous uh, verse that people, Christians often think applies to everybody or every believer. It does not. Paul said, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That is not a blanket statement and promise for every Christian. In context, Paul 
thanks the Philippians for meeting his needs. Paul thanks the Philippians for searching him out, finding out where he, where he was, and sending him a gift a couple of times. And to this very generous people who were poor, they were the Macedonians, Paul says to them, since you have been so kind to meet my needs, I want to assure you my God will be meeting your needs. And he never runs out of money. According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see, the clear and consistent teaching of Scripture is that you can count on the Lord to generously supply your needs when you are generous in supplying the needs of others. If you're stingy with people and you're stingy with God, then you can count on it that God will withhold material resources from you. And some of you may have financial struggles going on right now because of a lack of generosity. It very well could be. So it's important to keep in mind that the Eighth Commandment is an encouragement not only to refrain from stealing, but to actually give. Give to others and share generously with them. Ask God to cultivate that in your heart. Remember a number of years ago, God just doing a work in my heart, and I, I said, Lord, I, I, I want to be generous. It goes against my grain. I, I want to accumulate it for myself. I want to keep it from me. God, help me to be like Jesus. And I have to, I have to tell you, every time, every time God has worked in me by his grace to be generous and giving, he gives me back far more than I ever gave. I, I should have written a book on this and written it all down. It got to the point, folks, I have to say, it got to the point where every time I gave more than, than usual, the Lord gave me back. I started laughing. It, it almost became a game. Like, I, how can I outgive God? Um, and, and you don't want to give to get, but I assure you that God will keep his word. Let's bow for prayer. As we've studied this commandment, we have to be honest and say that the truth is that all of us have stolen from others. At, at some point in our lives, we've stolen. We are all thieves. The good news is that Jesus Christ forgives thieves. How do we know that? Because there was a thief hanging on the cross next to him who had repented of his sin. And Jesus turned to him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise Today you'll be with me. Now, how, how could Jesus say that to a man who was a crook, a, a, a criminal, guilty? Because while on the cross, Jesus was bearing the full guilt of that thief's sins. Not, not just stealing, but all of his sins. And he was paying the complete price, which was eternal death. Though innocent of ever stealing, Jesus was treated by the Father as a thief and a robber. He was treated because he bore the legal guilt for this, this man's sins. Jesus was treated as one who, who broke the Eighth Commandment himself, and, and yet he never did. Those who come to Christ for salvation are not only forgiven, but they are treated by God as if they were as righteous as Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the grace of God. Have you ever been forgiven? Forgiven of your thievery? Forgiven of your subtle stealing and all other sins? Have you ever come to the Savior to receive his perfect righteousness on your legal record? That's what happens. God treated Christ as if he was the worst of sinners. And the moment you turn to him and trust him as your Savior, God treats you as if you're as righteous as his son. That's grace. If you're already a believer in Christ, the questions abound. Do you need to repay what you've stolen? Do you need to humble yourself and go back and make restitution? Do you need to return a book, a CD, clothing to someone? Do you need to speak to your employer 
about taking items that don't belong to you. It would be humbling. It may cost you some money, but it would be the right thing to do. Have a plan to start being generous. Implement it. Is there anyone you know who's hurting financially right now? Anybody you can help out? Work at being generous. Give that waiter, that waitress, extra for the tip. Work on on being liberal in giving. Work on cultivating that generous spirit and heart. Father, thank you for this commandment. Thank you that it is exceedingly broad, just as your word says. And Lord, help us to repent from the stealing that we've done in the past, and perhaps some have been guilty of it even to this day. Lord, deal with us on this. May we repent, make restitution, do what's right. And I pray that you'll help cultivate in each one of us the great spirit of generosity because Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We thank you that you've given your life for us. We pray you'll you'll draw to yourself those who still need salvation. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Verse by Verse. If you would like to listen again to today's class or catch up on any you missed, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. We hope you can join us for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve will begin teaching about the next commandment. What does it mean to bear false witness against our neighbor? We will find out in our next lesson. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's ver- If you're concerned about